The resurrection demands a response from us. One cannot face the resurrection of Jesus from the dead with nonchalance. And to choose not to respond, to choose indifference, is by default to reject its premise, its truth. Its implications are eternal. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now what? As a child, when I was taught about the gospel, beautiful poetic metaphor was used. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Invite him into your heart. And this is a, this is a sweet phrase and it's a beautiful picture. I understand why it's used. But shall we be strictly biblical, Highlands Community Church? The text of Romans 10, I'm gonna give away the ending of my sermon, okay? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess. We don't make Jesus Lord, okay? He is Lord. And we just confess it. We just confess the truth. It's a beautiful idea to invite Jesus into your heart, but think on the resurrected Jesus. He showed up uninvited. He goes where he wills. He showed up in the midst of the disciples after he had resurrected from the dead. He just appeared in the middle of all of them after having been crucified. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> and the first words out of his mouth are, peace be with you, which in the Jesse Campbell translation means, don't freak out. <laughs> so it's a beautiful idea to invite Jesus into your heart. And I understand, I understand what people mean when they say, make Jesus Lord. I get that. But if we're to be strict about Romans 10, 9, he is Lord. You don't have the power to make him Lord. He has resurrected. He is Lord. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are saved and we confess the truth. Jesus is Lord. That's my sermon. <laughs> Let's look at Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 33. Our small group curriculum covers Mark 15, 27 through 39, so I'm gonna overlap that a little bit. And then I'm gonna go into the last chapter of Mark, which our small group curriculum will cover in session 13. So we are going to, we're gonna have some dessert before we're done with our meal, but that's okay, theologically. I believe that God came that we may have life and have it abundantly. So I have your dessert first. Do it to the glory of God. Have dessert first. I know what I'm having for dessert before I start. I, I smoked two pork shoulders for the staff. All right, I came and checked them this morning. They look good. And then I'll tell you what's for dessert is some of the multiple, multiple jars of Biscoff crunchy cookie butter. <laughs> I've got three more this morning. <laughs> I came in Monday after that sermon and there was a bag of them on my desk. So I should have charged Biscoff for that endorsement. Somebody show me a picture of the, of the empty shelf <laughs> at the store after church got out. If you're new to Highlands Community Church, I'm Jesse Campbell. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome to Highlands Renton. All right, as well, if, if you're tuning in on video, uh, Highlands Kent online. I want to also give a special shout out to everybody who's in room 300 for video overflow. 
All right, if you're in room 300 in video overflow, I wanna see if we can hear you from here. On the count of three, I want you guys, I want you guys to say, hey. Okay, one, two, three. Say it. <laughs> All right. We might have heard you, or it may have been some imposters in our midst here. Would you guys like to say, would you guys like to say hey to them? Yeah. All right, we're gonna say hi to you now, video overflow. On the count of three, one, two, three. Hey! hey. Whoa. So we've got a lot of people, our video overflow is overflowing, praise God, right? <laughs> it's amazing, we're seeing amazing things happen at Highlands Community Church, we are growing, and the, the, you, know, you know what we're doing is, is we're just going book by book through the word of God. All right, so if you're looking for a church home, you just found it. All right, this is, this is the beautiful truth of God's word, and we are in the gospel of Mark right now as a church across, across age levels from sixth grade to the cemetery. We're all looking at the same passage at the same time in the, in the gospel of Mark. And so now we're going we're gonna to sneak ahead. We're going to look at the ending of the gospel of Mark, which is no big secret. Jesus raises again from the dead. So let's look at the story beginning in verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. This is the moment that the Son of God died. According to the Gospel of Mark, this is what... The gospel cost. God takes sin seriously. And Jesus' death upon the cross brings into focus the full cost of the gospel. It cost God his son. I didn't fully appreciate that until my son died too. A son named Aiden who passed away. My bride and I think about him every day. And it's part of why I'm here right now is to proclaim the gospel and share the gospel through his legacy and through his, his testimony as much as I can to reach as many people as I possibly can for Jesus Christ. And make my son proud of me and fulfill the Savior's great commission on my heart. And I haven't, I haven't told Aiden's story. I told it to the high schoolers at camp, but I haven't, I haven't talked about Aiden. I haven't told his story from here. I will. We as a church are launching a conference. It's called Aiden's Hope. I want to minister to bereaved parents. And I want to equip people to minister to bereaved parents. So if you've lost a child, if you had a miscarriage 40 years ago, if your child died in your arms, if your adult child committed suicide, or if you just, you're close to somebody who has experienced these things. Nobody talks about miscarriage. Nobody talks about this. I wanna talk about it, and I wanna, I wanna bring the word of God to bear upon it. And I wanna proclaim the gospel. That's Aiden's hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you or somebody that you love has experienced child loss, would you go to aidenshope.org and come and be a part of this conference? Or if you, you don't feel called to that particular ministry, if you just wanna support it somehow, you can provide scholarships as we are able to provide an honorarium for the counselors that we're bringing on board. 
and provide a meal for the families that come. So Aidenshope.org, the gospel cost God his son. And I have, in recent years, come to understand that more fully. Look at what, look at what Luke's account says about the same moment. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. That's Mark 15, 37. Luke 23, 46 records Jesus crying out to heaven, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see the pain that exists within the Trinity right there? The pain that exists between the Son and the Father? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is, this is profound to me, that, that Luke would record, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These are, according to Luke, the last words of Jesus. They coincide harmoniously with the events as Mark's just described them. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Did you know that for the Christian, the moment of death, you might echo Jesus' last words? You might take his last words and make them your own. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I mean, doesn't that, isn't that what it means to be a child of God? I'm not making this up. Look at, look at John 1:12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 2 Corinthians 6, 18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. We, as Christians, you are a child of God, you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may, with your last breath, cry out, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. This means that the Christian doesn't have to fear death. For the Christian, the moment of death is connecting once again with your heavenly Father. It's connecting with your heavenly Father for eternity and forevermore. Look at verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why? The temple curtain, this is that barrier that separated that which was outside of the temple and that which was within, that which separated the, the presence of God from the rest of the world. And think on its timing. The moment that Jesus dies, this is when that barrier that separates the temple from the outside world, it tears. And, it, and in what fashion does it tear? The wording is deliberate. Let it... Let your heart hear the intent behind it. It tore from top to bottom. It would have been quite a feat of strength for men to team up at the bottom and tear it from bottom to top, but it says that it tore from top to bottom, and it did this at the moment of Jesus' death, meaning that that barrier which separated the presence of God from the rest is, is torn, is permanently and purposefully ruined. And this is why as New Testament Christians, we understand the writings of Paul, who says that we now are living temples of God, right? The, the presence of God dwelt within the very center of the very center of the very center, the Holy of Holies in the midst of the temple, in the middle of Jerusalem. And now, now where does the Spirit of God dwell? In us as Christians. This is why Paul describes us as living, breathing, walking, ministering temples of God. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he had breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. 
And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. Does that describe anybody with me right now? Came looking for the kingdom of God. You didn't just come here because this is where your grandmother goes to church and you, she, she made a deal. She said, you only get to eat some of my food if you come to my church. <laughs> there are people here who are curious and you're searching for the kingdom of God. You're like Joseph of Arimathea in the text. You're looking for the truth because you have this, you have this deep calling on your heart. You know that truth itself is authoritative. You know, you know that that sense of morality that separates right from wrong, you know the mirror of your bones, that it's not an abstraction. It's, it's not just some herd trait. It's not, it's, it's real and it's authoritative and there are consequences when you violate it. Like you know, you know that murder is wrong. How do you know that? You're looking for the truth. You have, you have this sense of truth, but you're looking for the logos. You're looking for that authoritative presupposition to set it upon all right, you, you've always known, you've always known that truth is true and authoritative and transcendent and spiritual in nature. Well, guess what? Joseph of Arimathea, you've just found it. You found it. You came into a church on Easter morning. I mean, like, what did you expect? Jesus is the truth. You found it. If you're looking for the kingdom of God, you found him. His name is Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, this expert in the law, a Pharisee. I mean, he, he likely had much of Genesis through Malachi memorized saw the truth in Jesus. He was looking for the kingdom of God and he saw the truth in Jesus. The embodiment of everything that scripture foretold. Everything about the Old Testament sacrificial system pointed forward to this man, to Jesus, and Joseph of Arimathea knew it. We beat up on the Pharisees because of the terrible things that they did, but the office of Pharisee itself was not necessarily a bad thing. If anything, I look at the office of Pharisee as a tragic waste of rigor and intellect and devotion. They devoted themselves to the wrong things. These were the most rigorous guys in town. And instead, they didn't recognize the Messiah, the word of God, when he stood right in front of them. Their knowledge of God was merely academic, not transformative. But Joseph of Arimathea saw the truth. He was a part of the council of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and Sadducees that was crucifying Jesus, but in his heart of hearts, he knew Jesus is Lord. And so he stepped out of line, right? He, def he defies convention, he defies his peers. Look, look to verse 43. He was looking for the kingdom of God and he took courage and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. This was radical rogue defiance. For Joseph of Arimathea to defy the rest of the council and do this and try to give Jesus a proper Jewish burial, that was spectacularly defiant. And I think that the Lord is stirring a similar fire in some bellies in this room right now. I think some of you, I think some of you are being called of God to do the same thing. And I want to give you a, I want to give you a fair warning. You pray if the Lord's laying it on your heart. Some of you are like, oh, I already know what he's going to say. And I know it's going to be me and I'm dreading it, but I've got to do this. I'm going to invite you to stand up at the end of this sermon. If you are like Joseph Arimathea and you're being called of God to do something defiant and step out of line. Do you know the kind of defiance that I'm talking about? It, it becomes most clearly manifest, I believe, when trying to select which cashier to use at the grocery store. <laughs> you know the moment, you know the terror. If you're like me, you always go when three of the 20 registers are open. 
and there's lines of people everywhere, and you only came for diapers, but you ended up getting like 21 different things. And then as you approach, you see the sign that says 20 items or less, you're like, ah! Also, it should say fewer. Less is qualitative, fewer is quantitative. (laughs) 20 items or fewer, heretics. So you get past the grammar in your mind, like you notice something, you see something. There is, there's a lady and she's behind a cash register, but the light isn't on. You feel it? (laughs) I'm about to rebel. I've got to get out of this line that leads to death. (laughs) And so you break ranks and you turn your shopping cart. And you take the first step and you look and there's a lady and she, you don't know her name. She looks like, looks like a Tammy. She has Tammy-like attributes. <laughs> and so you go and you meet Tammy and she begins ringing up your items. And then what happens behind you? Rebellion! <laughs> and people follow and they get in line behind you. And then you realize it's because Tammy was just, uh, just about done with her shift until you showed up. What happens when we step out of line? I mean, I know that the grocery store is a funny thought experiment, but really and truly, isn't that, isn't that similar to what's going on in Joseph Arimathea's heart? I mean, like he's in the line that leads to death, but he, he sees the truth. <laughs> and he, in defiance, I mean, it's, it's, what, what makes us so nervous? Like, I, would, I don't wanna step out of line. I don't wanna be conspicuous and be different from everybody else. I'd rather just stay in this line, even if it is leading straight to hell. Like, and, and there's something about us that just is hesitant to be the first one to step out of line. But man, when you do, when you do rebel, when you do step out of line, and you do speak up, and you do proclaim the gospel, other people will follow you. Just ask Tammy. So step out of line. Defy Joseph of Arimathea. Defy your peers. Step out of line. How many of you, like Joseph of Arimathea, I just, I just can't keep suppressing my faith in Jesus anymore. I can't keep my belief in Jesus a secret any longer. I just can't, I can't hide the fact that I believe in Jesus. I can't be polite about this anymore. I can't keep suppressing the truth because they need it. Joseph of Arimathea, if you're being called to rebel, you step out of line. Defy and rebel. Go rogue. Ha! I love it. Today's the day. Amen. <laughs> Today's the day, Joseph of Arimathea, that you go rogue and you'd find, you step out of line. So Joseph of Arimathea goes rogue. Look at verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Okay, what of this linen shroud mentioned in verse 46? Take a look at this. This is the shroud of Turin. This is a burial shroud that was found in the right place at the right time, bearing the indications that it enwrapped the body of a man of the right age and the right circumstances that it likely could be the burial shroud of Jesus. 
And much speculation has been made that this is the very burial shroud that was provided by Joseph of Arimathea that is named in verse 46. If you look on the left side of the top left corner, you can see the face. This is the portion that went over the face. This likely could be the burial shroud of Jesus. So, so is this the burial shroud of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? I don't know. It could be. It could be the burial shroud of Jebus Chris of Nazareth. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's possible. If it is, I'll be really fascinated for about 15 seconds, and then I'll return my attention to my burrito. Because Jesus is finished with this. You understand? Jesus doesn't need the burial shroud anymore. There's this, there's this collective effort to try to disprove that this was the burial shroud by a bunch of militant anti-Christian atheists. And you're like, you realize, my friends, when, if you should succeed, you've accomplished nothing. Like, it has no bearing on the gospel. It might be the shroud in verse 46. It might not be. But as Christians, we need not obsess over this. Imagine it from the perspective of Jesus. We're like obsessing over this shroud and like holding it to our faces, trying to get some sort of blessing through osmosis. And he's like, Gross. <laughs> it's not even mine. <laughs> I, I don't need this to be the burial shroud. Don't, don't give me Jesus' used grave underwear. <laughs> Jesus is alive. I don't need his grave clothes. Give me the resurrected Jesus forevermore. So I don't need that to be the shroud that's named in verse 46. Jesus is done with it, and so am I, verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. You could see the collective efforts of Joseph of Arimathea and these women. They're trying to give Jesus a proper Jewish burial. As we look at the four Gospels together in harmony with one another, we arrange the events of resurrection morning in chronological order. These events that we just read, Mark 16, verses 1 and 2, are the first to appear in that sequence. So we're at the tomb. They walk in, or they, they walk up. Verse 3 says, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So there are multiple types of tomb seals. Some of them are sort of this cork style. We've, we've discovered about 900 different tombs around Jerusalem that have a similar construction to them. Given the fact that the word rolled appears multiple times throughout the gospel accounts, it's likely that the particular tomb seal in this tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man, as prophesied by Isaiah 53. If you missed our Good Friday service, go back and watch that because you'll see more ways in which that prophecy was fulfilled, including in this text, it is most likely that this particular tomb seal was the heavy stone disc that was rolled into place. And with a large team effort, could be rolled out of place so that when another member of that wealthy family died, they could be placed within the family's tomb. So this is, this is the, the stone that has been rolled out of the way. Verse five, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, every time an angel speaks to a human in scripture, they either have to say that person's name multiple times or say something like, don't be afraid. 
Here's what the angel says. Do not be alarmed. See? You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Jesus' resurrection carries with it eternal implications. Now what's it gonna be? As the spirit draws on your heart, what's it going to be? You see, Acts 2.24 describes what happened between death and Jesus. It didn't go well for death. Acts 2.24 reads, God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. It was not possible for him to be held by death. I wanna borrow from an image that is used elsewhere in scripture, the personification of death. Scripture elsewhere describes death being cast into a lake of burning sulfur and mocked as he falls. So I wanna borrow from that imagery. Death overwhelms us. Like we cry at gravesides. Why? Because death just feels like, it just feels like the last word. For the child of God, it isn't. But it just feels that way. It's just like this overwhelming specter that just, we can't do anything about it. It's this indomitable specter, death. And so we just weep. But Jesus overwhelms death. Jesus humiliated death, according to Acts 2.24, according to this text. I mean, just imagine it. I mean, think on it for a moment. Right, death for, for millions of people for thousands of years saw them easily succumb to his grasp. Surely his work had become monotonous across the millennia. And then came Jesus. And the text says that he could not hold Jesus. Imagine the stupid look on death's face as he tries to hold on to Jesus and he just can't. Imagine it. The claws just couldn't sink into Jesus. His skeletal arms just were cracking amidst the pressure that was trying to erupt from their macabre grasp. I mean, everything about Jesus just felt different to death. My he's, he's splintering my claws. He's, he's breaking my arms. He's cracking my ribs. I know this one. This is the one by whom Abraham, this is the one by whom Elijah escaped my grasp and Enoch escaped me. This is the one who called Lazarus out. This is the one by whom Elisha resurrected that boy. This is the one who called that little girl out from the grave. This is someone different. This is Jesus. He's breaking my grasp and I cannot hold him. Jesus is alive. I've been defeated. Jesus is alive. That's my my Jesus, the one who humiliated death. He's alive. Happy Easter. Now repent. So if you believe that this is true, if you believe that the story that I've just read is a truthful account, and this is the very first time you believe that, I want to be, I want to be clear on this. That is a miracle of the Holy Spirit of God. That means that today is the day of salvation for you. And today is the day that you proclaim your belief in Jesus as Lord. You already know what I'm talking about because you can sense it in your heart. Everything is different now. Yeah, that's called the Holy Spirit of God. That's the same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead is the spirit that's at work in your life right now. The same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead is bringing you out of your grave. So I wanna give you a moment to proclaim that to God in prayer. We're gonna pray the word of God out to God. We're gonna pray John 3, 16. 
3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We're gonna pray Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're gonna pray Romans 6.23, for the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We're gonna pray John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we're gonna pray Romans 10.9. See, I told you that's where it ends. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I wanna give you in a moment the chance to proclaim that scripture out to God because the day is the day that you're saved. The old is gone, the new has come. You were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. But first, an act of rebellion. Where are my Josephs of Arimathea? If you've seen in this text, Joseph Arimathea step out of line and defy others, you just, you resonate with that because you're like, you know, there are ways in which I've been keeping silent, I just can't anymore. I've just gotta rise up, I've gotta start a rebellion, I gotta get out of line, I've gotta go rogue, I've gotta bring up the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you see Joseph Arimathea in this text, there have been people in every service, so in video overflow and right here, would you stand up, Joseph Arimathea, so we can pray for you right now. Praise God, who else? Joseph of Arimathea being called to stand up in rebellion. If you can't stand up in church, you're not gonna stand up out there, so rise up. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Video overflow, stand up if that's you, praise God. Would you guys celebrate these rebels? Amen. 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 Be seated, that's great. We're gonna pray for you, Joseph of Arimathea. Be seated, we'll pray for you, Joseph of Arimathea. So let's pray out to God, those who are being saved right here. And now let's pray for our, our rebels, our Josephs of Arimathea. Let's go before the Lord. I believe in you, God, apparently. I believe in you. I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son, that if I would believe in him, I would not die, but have everlasting life. I confess that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I confess that the wages of my sin is death, hell, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way, I believe that Jesus is the truth, I believe that Jesus is the life, and I know there's no way I can come to you, Father, except through Jesus. Nobody else died for me but Jesus. Nobody else rose again for me but Jesus. And so by the Spirit of God, here and now I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Highlands Community Church, would you say Jesus is Lord? Say it. Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now God, let me be saved. God, I also lift up these beautiful rebels, these Josephs of Arimathea who are about to step out of line and defy convention, break silence, be impolite. Holy Spirit of God, give them boldness, give them wisdom beyond their learning, give them opportunity. Give them inexplicable peace. Give them allies in the faith. Lord, give them the promise sealed upon their hearts that you spoke in the Great Commission that you are with us always, even to the very end of the age. You are with them in their moment of beautiful defiance. 
May these rogue Pharisees step out of line, proclaim the gospel, and in Jesus' name, would such rebellious acts bring about a gospel revival in the whole Pacific Northwest as other people step out of line too, as other people rise up too, as the gospel is proclaimed and shouted amidst the darkness and people are called from darkness to light. Bring revival through rebels, Jesus. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you rise up and worship the Lord with me? Some of us for the very first time as new believers.